0: This is Dr. Carol McMakin, and I'm presenting the concept that frequency-specific microcurrent is useful for fibromyalgia and nerve pain. It's actually more than a concept. It's, It's the reality that FSM is effective and can help you treat patients with fibromyalgia and nerve pain. Let's go into the details. There actually is a new tool, frequency-specific microcurrent, that you probably didn't know you needed that does something you didn't think was possible because everybody knows fibromyalgia and nerve pain are really hard, if not impossible, to treat. So just think about what would happen to your treatment of fibromyalgia and nerve pain if you could reduce inflammation, repolarize the voltage-gated ion channels in nerve membranes, increase ATP by 500% uh, quickly, without drugs, and there was some reasonable mechanism of action and some data that shows that it's possible. Well, frequency-specific microcurrent has been doing that for 22 years, actually, with microcurrent and frequencies. So let's look at what the current does microcurrent increases cellular energy by 500 percent as long as the current is between 10 and 500 microamps in three different studies it increased microamperage current increased ATP production by 500 percent above 500 microamps ATP flattened out and above a thousand microamps so by the time you get to tens level current ATP is reduced the current increased protein synthesis by 70%, amino acid transport by 40%. And in Seeger's studies, she showed that the increase in current activates signal transduction by affecting cell membrane receptors. So frequency-specific microcurrent has been around since 1997. We'll go into the history. But in 2003, we had blinded animal research at University of Sydney in Australia in the veterinary science department with Dr. Vivian Reeve and Dr. Wayne Riley, and they showed that there was a 62% reduction in lipoxygenase-mediated inflammation with the use of one and only one frequency. That would be 40 hertz on channel A to reduce inflammation and 116 hertz on channel B. The method was to paint arachidonic acid on the mouse's ears and this is a mechanical way of measuring the effect of inflammation or inflammatory substances such as arachidonic acid. So they painted on the mouse's ears. If you don't do anything to the mouse, this is how much it swells. If you use 40 and 116 on the mouse, and that's Wayne holding the mouse by the scruff of the neck and by the tail. It reduced inflammation, lipoxygenase-mediated inflammation by 62%, and in 20 years, 18 years of doing this research, Dr. Reeve had never seen any prescription or non-prescription drug that reduced inflammation by more than 45%, so she shut down the lab, made sure everybody was blinded and in separate rooms, and she put in a placebo frequency, and the... Reduction in inflammation with 40 and 116 was still 62% in lipoxygenase and 30% reduction of inflammation and Cox-mediated inflammation, which doesn't sound that good, but it's equivalent to injectable Toradol when Toradol was tested in the same mouse model by the same researcher. The interesting thing was all animals responded, and that's the first time. This research was done in 2000, 2001, I think. Um, that's the first time we discovered that 40 hertz was a four-minute time-dependent response, and this time feature will become more understandable as we discover them, as we discuss the mechanism. So we did a burn center project in 2003. Um, at Mercy St. John's in Springfield, Missouri, and we found that the frequencies to dissolve scar tissue actually dissolve scar tissue in mature burns. Every patient had statistically significant permanent increases in range of motion after three one-hour treatments. So this was seven burn patients. This is pictorial in a patient we treated in Taiwan in 2019. This was a three-year chronic full thickness burn um, in his forearm. That's his elbow. And before the treatment, he had his elbow was stuck in 15 degrees of flexion. After one hour of treatment, it looks a little bit different. Like there's the scar tissue is lighter, but the flexion was zero degrees. He could straighten his elbow. He's pretty excited about that. So the frequencies dissolve scar tissue. We've been treating fibromyalgia from spine trauma since 1999, and um, the thing that you need to know about fibromyalgia from spine trauma is it's 13 times more common following neck injuries. So fibromyalgia in general has four, five, six different causes but it is 13 times more common following cervical injuries than, let's say, if you had a broken leg. This was Dan Buscilla's research from Israel. That makes it between 24 in the medical literature, 27% in a different study. In our practice, it was about 40% of fibromyalgia onset was fibromyalgia following some sort of spine or neck trauma. That means there's 2 million patients in the U.S. with cervical trauma, fibro, or fibromyalgia associated with some sort of spine injury. We tested 54 consecutive patients with a history of trauma. Average chronicity was nine years. We had blood sample data on a subset of six patients. So I went to NIH in 2000 and presented 25 case reports and asked the assembled scientists if anybody could help me figure out what was changing objectively that matched the reduction in pain, and Terry Phillips um, had a method for doing that. What we found clinically was that only one frequency combination was effective in reducing the inflammation and the pain, so 40 hertz on channel A to reduce inflammation, which is the same as you saw in the mouse research, only this, the channel B, instead of being 116 for the immune system, was 10 for the spinal cord. And that mm, demonstrates the frequency specificity of FSM. So 40 and 116 did not work on fibromyalgia from spine trauma because it is the spinal cord that is inflamed um, because of the disc injuries in the neck. So 40 and 10 was the only frequency that worked. And this is your most difficult fibromyalgia patient. The Pain levels are the highest. Our patients averaged a 7.4 out of 10. And it was reduced to 1.3 out of 10 in 90 minutes. And when I lectured at NIH, I said, nobody's going to believe this. It's too good to be true. They're not going to believe it until we have something objective. And it worked on everybody. If they had this pain diagram... And if they had hyperactive patellar reflexes and some dermatomal hyperesthesia, this protocol worked. So there's nobody it doesn't work on as long as the diagnosis is correct. And 58% of them recovered from fibromyalgia within four months in an average of about seven treatments. Now, the recovery was individualized. They used FSM in the office. Some of them had an FSM home unit. They most got physical therapy. They needed reconditioning. They had supplements. Some of them we treated the irritable bowel. The adrenals had to treat the orthopedic problems. The paper was finally published in July of 2005. Um, And the data we got from National Institutes of Health and Terry Phillips uh, was interleukin-1 went down in the index patient from 392 to 21. That's a change of 20 times in 90 minutes. We had data on six patients. This patient didn't respond well. She had a disc bulge that caused spinal cord compression. So she didn't respond with full body pain relief until actually the next day. But all the rest of them, these four, pain went from a 7.4 to a 1.4 and the interleukin one went down as an average from 330 down to 80 and the second treatment it came back at a lower level and the third treatment came back at a lower level yet so interleukin 1 was reduced TNF-alpha was reduced from 300 down to 20 that's a reduction of what 15 times interleukin 6 went down substance P which is produced in the spinal cord went down by a factor of 10 times and you can see there's no scatter in the patients that it worked well in. This patient didn't respond; her pain didn't come down particularly because she had that um, disc bulge that was pressing on the spinal cord. But everybody else, look at what look at the the grouping. So the substance P went down by a factor of 10 times. Substance P is produced in the spinal cord and this particular measurement shows that that channel B frequency of 10 hertz is actually addressing the spinal cord. Endorphins went up by a factor of more than 10 times, and that matches the clinical response because by about the 40-minute uh, mark, the patients are so relaxed, and you would, we call it dwarfed endorphins, that they pretty much don't want to talk and don't want to open their eyes. Endorphins went up and cortisol went up, not because of a stress response because neuropeptide Y, which we didn't publish that data, went down. Um, so what made cortisol go up, and that is because if you're going to increase endorphins, you're going to increase proopiomelanocortin, melanocortin, which increases Beta lipotropin and ACTH, which is going to increase cortisol, which is going to inc- and so the cortisol increase parallels the increase in endorphins. Pain went down from a 7.3 to a 1.3. That p value has three zeros that were published. When you actually do the statistics, it has six zeros. But then you have to think about these changes in inflammatory cytokines. In medicine, inflammatory cytokines are hard to change, and when they change, they change slowly over months. 40 hertz reduced all inflammatory cytokines by 10 to 15, 20 times in 90 minutes. Interleukin-1, 6, 8, TNF-alpha, interferon gamma, and CGRP all were reduced by 10 to 20 times in 90 minutes. And when they returned, they returned at a much lower level. So we didn't publish the interferon gamma and CGRP data. But you have to be asking, how did that happen? Well, cytokines are created by changes in cell signaling. Interleukin 1, 6, 8, TNF-alpha, interferon gamma and CGRP. So you have some sort of external stimulus that causes the cell to respond Changes increase, changes in transcription factors and increases in the expression of genes that produce inflammatory cytokines. Well, if you think about it for 20 years, as we have, um, it becomes obvious that only changes in cell signaling could normalize all of these at one time. It's the only reasonable explanation. So how does this work? Receptors on cells respond to external factors like bleeding, um, inflammation, bacteria, tissue fragments that indicate tissue injury. These external factors activate, land on this receptor, activate kinases, and transcription factors that change genetic expression, messenger RNA, and microRNA that cause the cell to produce For example, pro-inflammatory cytokines to create inflammation. Now, we're all used to a chemical model. Drugs, herbs, or nutrients act like a key in a lock to change membrane receptors and intracellular function by a direct chemical connection. They land on the receptor and cause the receptor to respond by activating the kinase's transcription factors and producing inflammatory cytokines. It's key in a lock. Frequencies act like your key remote changing the lock with an electromagnetic signal. As near as we can tell, the frequencies appear to change membrane protein configuration and cell function electromagnetically to normalize cytokines levels. It's the only thing that makes sense. So look at the outcomes in neuropathic pain. This was pain level this was a collected case report 20 patients, the average chronicity was about seven years. About 80% of the patients had failed with other treatments, so they sort of created their own control group. If they were going to have a placebo reaction, they would have had it with somebody else. All patients experienced pain reduction. The first treatment took their pain from a 6.8 to a 2. That p value with only 20 patients has got two zeros and a 1. The second treatment, the pain went up from a 2 to a 5. But then the second treatment, the pain went down from a 5 to less than a 1. That also has two zeros and a 1. And clinically, only one frequency pair reduces nerve pain. And that is 40 hertz, the same thing that reduced inflammation in the mouse, same thing that reduced inflammation in the spinal cord. Nerve pain is medically inflammation in the nerve. of these 20 patients recovered in about five treatments. There were no adverse reactions. However, 25% terminated care prior to recovery, five of them, even though everybody had pain reduction. So the 25% terminated care prior to recovery, and you have to think that if you've been in pain for seven years, and the pain goes down and then it comes back even at a lower level. If you've been in pain for 7 years and your pain goes from an average of a 7 to a 2, you have the ability to create an identity crisis that's more or less unparalleled in medicine. Most of the pain we treated was either sciatica or cervical nerve roots like C6. Then was a second study where the patient had chronic pain from nerve adhesions following ulnar transposition surgery. He was 19 when the surgery happened. The, produce, the surgery produced no change in pain or range of motion. Um, nine years later, his pain had increased to a 5. His TAOS score, functional score, was 86. He had 11 physical therapy sessions. His pain went from a 5 to a 4, and his TAOS went from 86 to 92. Uh, one year later, his pain was up even higher at a 7, and his taos was down to an 80. He had three sessions of FSM that eliminated the pain using 40 and 396, and then you use the frequency to reduce scarring in the nerve and mobilize the soft tissue manually. Pain at discharge was zero. His taos was 100%. The results were maintained at a one-year follow-up, and then the paper was published in 2017. So you have to ask, how does this successful treatment happen, right, with just frequencies and microamperage current? So FSM frequencies were developed in the early 1900s by MDs and osteopaths in the US, UK, and Germany, used by thousands of physicians until about 1934. Predictably, the pharmaceutical forces and conventional medical forces labeled these treatments as fakes and frauds, and any physician who used these kind of tools would lose his license. So the devices went into the back rooms, the research and the history were lost or destroyed when your grandfather or great-grandfather passed away, his library went away. Um, The research and the history were lost or destroyed, and some of the practitioners were persecuted. So we actually don't have any way of knowing how they came up with these frequencies, how they were developed, and we have no record of the research except for some copies of Electro-Medical Digest that we found in the rare book room at the library in the Naturopathic College uh, in 1997 that made for some interesting readings. So if you have a rare book room near you and you can find copies of Electromedical Digest, you might enjoy those. So our history with FSM is that in 1946, Harry Van Gelder was an osteopath and naturopath from England that bought a practice that came with a machine that was covered up by a sheet in the back room. Um, and when he went into the back room and pulled the sheet off, he found the machine and a f- list of frequencies that were developed in 1922. 1983, George Douglas worked with Van Gelder for three months, brought home a copy of the list, and stuck it in a drawer. We have no idea how the frequencies were derived, and we were uncertain about the mechanism of action, but we've got some ideas about that. 1995, the frequencies were first used to treat muscle and nerve pain. 97, the frequencies were first taught, mostly to find out if they were reproducible. The consistent effects and benefits are not only reproducible, but they're teachable. So I can teach people how to do this and the frequencies do what they always do as long as the practitioner is using them um, properly to treat the correct thing. 2000, we got the cytokine data in fibromyalgia patients, when I lectured at NIH, 2003, we had the mouse research from University of Sydney, and um, the research and the clinical results in animals and humans, so it works on horses, dogs, cats, um, even mice, uh, have confirmed effects. So the clinical response is very frequency specific. Inflammation, that frequency, 40 hertz, reduces pain, reduces swelling, reduces redness. Doesn't do anything at all for range of motion. And I got a list that had a word, inflammation, and a number, 40 hertz. We assumed it was to neutralize inflammation, not cause it. Frequency for fibrosis and scarring, dissolves scar tissue, increases range of motion. Doesn't do anything for inflammation, pain, or redness. Hemorrhage, stops bleeding. Prevents bruising and new injuries, will slow down pain and bleeding in the menses. Frequency for shingles, effective in every case so far since uh, probably 1998 or 99. It's effective in every case, but it's not good for anything except shingles. So fortunately for us, medicine's pragmatic. The first question medicine asks is, does it work? If it works, then they start thinking about mechanisms. Many many years later. So we used willow bark as an anti-inflammatory and pain reliever for years, and then we used aspirin once acetylsalicylic acid was distilled from willow bark. We used it for hundreds of years. They didn't understand prostaglandin chemistry, this, until Upjohn developed ibuprofen in 1970, 71, and we'd been using willow bark since the 1800s. So That made it possible for us to use the frequencies clinically. So biologic resonance, what is that? Well, frequencies act as if they change cell signaling. They act as if they dissolve scar tissue crosslinks with a specific electromagnetic signal. That's the model that we have that says how the frequencies are working to change cell function. And it's not a completely foreign concept. So if you opened your car door with a remote, you used frequency-specific technology. Your remote is tuned to a very specific frequency. It opens only your car. You've got 20 cars in a row in a parking lot that are identical to yours except for the color. And your key remote opens only your car. And in our experience, specific frequencies affect only specific receptors with specific conditions. So biologic resonance is what we use with the frequencies. The frequency acts as if it changes membrane protein configuration and cell function electromagnetically. The frequencies appear to resonate with the crosslinks that shorten scar tissue. So when you're running the frequency to dissolve the scar tissue you have to manually it's like the frequency loosens the bonds it doesn't break them it loosens the bonds and then when you move the tissue with your fingers or by having the patient move you run the current from where the nerve starts to where the nerve ends and then you mobilize it as the frequencies vibrate with the bonds and that's how we dissolve scar tissue So. How can frequencies change biological tissue, and how can frequencies change cell signaling? How do you treat nerve pain and nerve adhesions and fibromyalgia from spine trauma? Well, a little bit of physics. The human body is a quantum biological system. Now, Newtonian physics is what we all learned in high school and college. Newtonian physics describes very well the behavior of large objects. But it falls apart at the molecular level, doesn't describe molecular systems. That's when they developed the concepts of quantum physics. We throw that word around, but quantum physics applies to molecular systems. Well, how does that relate to the human body? Well, living tissue is biochemicals, we are a large body that is made up of a molecular system of biochemicals. Your insulin, and your fascia, and the citric acid cycle that's in your mitochondria are made up of molecules, okay? Those are made up of atoms. Those are made up of subatomic particles that are held together by electromagnetic bonds, ah. We never think of biological tissue in this framework. But the truth is that every single bond, every mechanical bond, every chemical bond, every molecular bond has a frequency at which it resonates. So I want you to hold that in your mind. Every bond has a resonant frequency. Then we have to think about how it is that the current and the frequencies travel through your body. Well, the short version is that water... Your body's 85% water. Water lines the gel matrix that's inside cells and forms structures that act like a semiconductor. The water molecules stick to this little gel matrix and they flicker like that. They flicker. And when they flicker, they leave a hole that's in exactly the same place every time they flicker because the water molecules are held still and they flicker. Well, that creates that regularly occurring whole creates structures that are very similar to silicon or germanium that's in the chips that are in your computer. Short version is that your body is an electromagnetic system that looks solid but the cells function as a semiconductor network that conveys through your body not only current but charge and information in the form of resonant energy. So resonance is the tendency of a system or a bond to oscillate at large amplitudes in response to some frequencies and not others. At the resonant frequency, very small forces can produce very large amplitude vibrations. So soldiers marching in step, they found out in the 1700s or 1800s, can collapse a bridge. If they're marching in step and the vibration that their footsteps creates as they're crossing the bridge matches the mechanical resonance of the bridge itself, soldiers marching in step can collapse a bridge. So to this day, when soldiers reach the edge of a bridge, they break step. Every army in the world does that. And that's the power of resonance. Now, Resonance also explains the frequency effects that happen when a singer breaks a lead crystal glass, that trick that the Julie Andrews and Victor Victoria is the one that comes to mind, but any singer that will find a note and sing a note that is precise and sustained that matches the binding frequency that holds lead atoms together in a lead crystal matrix only works with 70% or more lead crystal. The lead atoms begin to vibrate with the singer's note and the lead crystal comes apart. That's resonance. That's the power of resonance. Lead crystal glasses and bridges. So biological resonance is what we use with frequency-specific microcurrent. The frequencies appear to change membrane protein configuration and cell function electromagnetically with specific frequency signal. Now to achieve lasting effects, you have to change the stable state. So water changes state. It is completely stable as ice as long as the surrounding temperature is zero degrees centigrade. You add energy to it it's completely stable as a liquid as long as the surrounding environment is 0 to 99 degrees centigrade when you reach hundred degrees centigrade it's completely stable as steam so the correct frequencies create instantaneous changes and change the state of the tissue so with the spinal cord um, and nerve pain if it is being caused by a disc injury Getting rid of the nerve pain and the spinal cord inflammation is easy. The changes can be permanent when the patient's physical condition removes the source of the pathology. So in nerve pain, if they have a disc injury, you have to do exercises and create repair for the disc so the disc will stop Lighting up or inflaming the nerve of the spinal cord so the Frequencies always work whether or not it's going to be permanent Depends on the patient's metabolism attitude their neurology and the physiology That supports this change in state that you just created So the fact of the matter is that frequency specific microcurrent can repair nerve pain and fibromyalgia in weeks or months not yours. It's really not that hard. Fibromyalgia from spine trauma and neuropathic pain are the easiest things we treat. And that's not something we're used to. And that's where this phrase comes from. I want you to try using this new tool, frequency-specific microcurrent, which you probably didn't know you needed because most of us don't think of nerve pain and fibromyalgia as curable, but it's really not that hard, to do something you didn't think was possible. Now, if you want to learn about frequency-specific microcurrent, the most fun way to do that is to read the resonance effect. Uh, Jim Oshman, who wrote Energy Medicine the Scientific Basis, described it as a can't-put-it-down page-turner-of-a-book. Most people read it in about four or five hours. It's fascinating, funny, exciting, inspired, and altogether di- delightful. You can go to frequencyspecific.com, backslash book, and FSM will send it to you, or you can get it on Amazon. So that's frequency-specific microcurrent in the treatment of fibromyalgia and nerve pain. We teach uh, three-day courses In pain and injury, we take a three-day course in neurovisceral treatments, and there is a five-day comprehensive course that includes all of the above. But you need to be aware that frequency-specific microcurrent changes not only your idea about what's possible, once you start using it, it changes your life, your health, your practice, and your outcomes forever. I'll be available for QA. Go to frequencyspecific.com and check out FSM. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinions provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of po- doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations.